0: I'm Derek Jensen. This is Resistance Radio on the Progressive Radio Network. My guest today is Melinda Tankard Reist. That's www.MelindaTankardReist.com. She's an author, speaker, media commentator, blogger, and advocate for young people. She's best known for her work addressing sexualization, objectification, harms of pornography, sexual exploitation, trafficking, and violence against women. She's author slash editor of seven books, including Getting Real, Challenging the Sexualization of Girls, a Spinifex Press 2009, Big Porn Incorporated, Exposing the Harms of the Global Pornography Industry, Spinifex Press 2011, co-edited with Dr. Abigail Bray, and Prostitution Narratives, Stories of Survival in the Sex Trade, Spinifex Press, co-edited with Dr. Carolyn Norma. An opinion writer, Melinda has appeared on ABC's Q&A and The Gruen Sessions, as well as many other TV and radio programs. She's co-founder of the grassroots campaigning movement, Collective Shout, for a world free of exploitation, exposing corporations, advertisers, and marketers who object to women and sexualize girls to sell products and services. An ambassador for World Vision Australia, Compassion Australia, Hagar New Zealand, and the youth mentoring body of the RAISE Foundation – Melinda is also a senior lecturer in the Center for Culture and Ethics, Notre Dame University, Sydney, Os- Sydney. Melinda is named in The Who's Who of Australian Women and The World's Who's Who of Women. Her most recent book is He Chose Porn Over Me. So, first off, thank you for your work in the world. Second, thank you for being on the program.
1: Thank you for saying, Derek. It's a pleasure to be with you again.
0: So, let's talk about your new book. Um, I mean, the, the title seems like it's pretty obvious what the subject is, but can you can you let us know anyway?
1: Of course, He Chose Porn Over Me, that title came from a number of the women who said exactly that, a number of the 25 contributors in the book described how porn became more important to their partners than they were, how he preferred porn, he chose porn, how porn ended up dominating their relationship, their family life, uh, colonised their their home lives, took over basically And the women, and those who had children, were collateral damage in their partner's insatiable greed for porn. And the idea behind this book was to document that and to give women the opportunity to describe well what it is is it like, what are the effects of being in a relationship with a habitual porn-consuming man who uh, has no intention of changing.
0: So what 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 is the I mean let's go through some of the the layout two scenarios for me. One of them mm-hmm. would be a and I recognize that we live, you know, within patriarchy. We recognize we live in a culture where men are valued more than women. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to sort of what would be a an okay relationship within that context and what would be how would that manifest differently for a relationship where a man might be addicted to porn, or one might be choosing mm. porn over the women. What, what does that mean in a tangible day-to-day basis? What are you getting? Do you see what I'm asking? Yes,
1: I do. Well, this uh, collection of stories gives us an inside look into the lived experience of women in relationships with habitual porn-consuming men. So they describe the crushing of intimacy, the crushing of respect. They describe having to provide uh, degrading Uh, sex acts that they do not find pleasurable. These women told of a total lack of respect for their boundaries, an overblown sense of entitlement, an expectation that they would provide sex on demand and participate in, in acts that they found repulsive and repugnant, a number described having to provide the porn star experience some described near-death experiences from porn-inspired acts, for example, strangulation, which is, of course, a red flag uh, for suicide. A number of the women in the book were raped. Uh, some passed out uh, as a result of choking during sex. Some said they couldn't breathe. And they experienced really the full range of abuse, uh, sexual, you know, emotional, coercive control so i situate this book in a continuum of domestic violence uh, it shows the book really shows how uh, porn inspires um, violence against against women uh, the women felt humiliated they felt uh, degraded and this was the very opposite of what a healthy respectful loving union should should look like and uh, some of them experienced it for decades before they got out of, of, of the relationship. So this is really, I suppose, the ultimate question is, well, what what do we want in relationships, but what do we want as a civilization? you know, uh, because so many boys now have been groomed by a predatory porn industry and they think these behaviours are, are normal. You know, we've eroticised dominance, violence, control, um, coercion, submission of, of women.
0: So I think it's really interesting that, um, I mean, you you and I of course agree on the harm that pornography does in general, mm. and um, it if if it strikes me as the, the thing that always gets me about thinking about well I'm going to back up. So when I mm. wrote about pornography and the culture of make believe back in 2001 or something. Mm-hmm. The reason I wrote about it was because I'm writing along in the book and then and, and a, a friend of mine told me about a situation in her family that struck me as just so completely bizarre that I I that's that that you know I I never I'd never, you know, been exposed to much pornography. It's it's never really been a part of my life. And so I hadn't thought about it very much in many ways. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. sort of my introduction to it was she was this friend was telling me about some members of her family who were married to each other. So you have a, a man and a wife and they would sit in the opposite corners of a room, uh, sexting with other people and, and, and masturbating. Mm-hmm. And that just, I, I couldn't wrap my mind around the fact that they were in the same room with mm-hmm. their partner so you, you, you're actually with somebody that you could, you, that the, the presumably you're both wanting to to interact sexually, and mm. and the choice was still made to to interact with a screen, and it it it, it kind of boggled. Do you too? Getting at it, it 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 boggles my mind that mm. and and this goes right to you know the title of the book. He chose porn over me. How how would someone choose pornography over a living breathing person?
2: Mm.
0: I mean, I, I'd rather be with a person than than an image on a screen of somebody that I've never met and is never going to meet me.
1: Mm. Well, what porn users have reported themselves is that um, real women don't can't compete. They can't get the variety. They can't uh, get the uh, you know extremes. They can't make women behave like that because women don't really want to behave like that. And uh, it puts entitlement, pre-existing male socialization and entitlement on 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 steroids. I mean, I have young women telling me that uh, boys uh, put their throats their hands around their throats without even asking that they demand nudes. It's it, even at school, they threaten girls with with rape if they don't send them nudes. You know they think that these behaviors are, are normal. A teacher told me that a uh, she overheard a 12 year old boy asking another 12-year-old boy, how do you know when you're having sex? And the second boy replied, when she starts to cry. So uh, we're breeding an entire generation that has become uh, more tolerant of, of sexual uh, violence, of humiliation, of degra- degradation, of, of cruelty. And uh, this is the thing. They're getting off on these representations. Uh, men and boys are finding, uh, you know, sexual pleasure in the humiliation of women, and they they prefer the screens. One young man says that he couldn't get aroused by a real woman anymore, but he would see a screen, an inanimate object, this square bit of plastic, and he would get aroused because he knew what he could get on the screen. So they are preferring screens to real people, real real human beings. That's what that's what's turning them on. And again, this does not all go well for for relationships for authentic intimacy and human connection. It's a, it's a tragedy really.
0: So there's, there's one more story I want to tell and then, and then we'll leave this to you, which is um, many years ago uh, through an odd set of circumstances, I ended up uh, sitting next to a, a, a woman who is, um, on a lot of people's lists of top 50 most beautiful women in the world, mm-hmm. uh, famous, a famous actress,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: um, she she started off the conversation. She had seen a talk I gave, and she started off the conversation by saying that she hates pornography. Mm-hmm. And she was, it's this is sort of the same story as the one I just told, except except maybe even more dramatic. Mm-hmm. She said that she had ended several relationships with men because they the men refused to stop looking at pornography in their relationship. And this just struck me as just this extraordinary example of, you know, let's leave aside a critique of the male gaze and the beauty standards and all that for a moment Mm -hmm. and just, you know, consider that. She's on everybody's list of top 50 most beautiful women in the world. And yet when men have the opportunity to actually be in a relationship with her,
2: mm-hmm.
0: they wouldn't they they wouldn't stop. The the screen was more. It's exactly what you're talking about. It's kind of on steroids. I mean, it's like the they were looking at women who were probably, according to beauty standards, less pretty than she was. Mm-hmm. And they would rather do that than actually be with her. That's right.
1: <laughs> yeah, beauty, natural beauty, has nothing to do with it, really. Um, it's really about men preferring instant, convenient, endless variety of sexual uh, sexual stimulation. And you see, the screen doesn't require conversation it doesn't require understanding the other person's perspective taking into account their needs their 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 wishes what they want in life their personalities you know the what they the, the men are seeing on the screen doesn't require anything of them apart from um <laughs> you know uh their their penises and lubrication you know and being able to get off on any image that they want multiple images multiple times a day. and this results in um, a deadening of an actual relationship. Uh, one woman said we only ever had porn style sex. we never made made love. So it strips away that ability to truly understand and connect with another person. that's that's the contemporary phenomenon that we are that we are facing is that the men really do prefer porn over a real living, uh, even stereotypically beautiful uh, woman. Uh, and she's telling the truth. I mean, I meet women like this all the time and and they're gaslit. They're told, well, this is normal. This is what men do. You should just get over yourself. You should just relax. You should, you should consume it uh, with him. You should get drunk and get that monkey off your back that says, you know you hate porn There's so many women in the book were gaslit by friends by family by so called counselors and and therapists who uh would side with the porn user over over her uh, that was a very constant um constant theme theme in the book
0: okay so i'm going to i'm going to i do not mean this at all and i'm going to throw out a line for you that i hope is a softball that mm. um and I'm I'm doing this because Gail Dines has has been asked this question, too. Mm. And um so why do you hate sex?
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, this isn't about sex. This is about the death of uh, true sex, a true intimacy, true connection. It's about the death of sensuality and the slow burn and discovery of another person's uh, uh, body. Uh, this is this is an anti-authentic sex. <laughs> this is a, this isn't even sex actually. I think it's more about seeing women tortured, degraded, and submissive. If you look at the most well, don't look at them, but take my word for it. You know the most popular genres of porn are the most violent, and, uh, and so men and boys are consuming torture porn, rape porn, um, sadism-themed porn, incest-themed porn, that's what's turning them on. One of the most chilling stories that I've heard, and I, I hear a lot, but this was um, from a, a woman I met at the Philia conference in, in Wales who told me that a friend of hers was a former um, terrorist. Uh, he had uh, got away from um, a branch of, of ISIS and he told her that before every uh, act of terrorism that they committed, the men would get together and, and pump themselves up on violent porn. Right? So we're talking about domestic terrorism uh, here, really fueled by porn. And that's the reality. Like, I don't know what, what more do we need to know. The fact is that when uh, the war in Ukraine uh, broke out, uh, the most popular search term on Pornhub uh, was Ukrainian girl. There are entire brothels opening that are featuring, you know, women from the Ukraine, and men on Reddit threads were were requesting live rape footage of women. Uh, so, you know, porn, torture, terrorism, uh, all, all, you know, they all feed and fuel fuel into each other. So this is far removed from uh, healthy healthy sexuality it's 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 something way way beyond that
0: how did, how did we get how did we get to a place where uh 12 year olds can say that mm. you know you're having sex when mm. she's crying and how 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 did how did we get to a place where um Where this, where, where anybody who opposes pornography is, is called a bigot. Mm. And how did we get to a place where, um, you know, when, when I was writing a book about, uh, queer theory, I was reading some absolutely horrible stuff Mm. that was put out by, Professors at Yale and Chicago University and University of Michigan and at major universities. How did we get to a place Mm. where this has become so completely.
2: Mm.
0: I mean, I mean, again, back in 2001, when that friend of mine told me about. Those two family members, both Mm. my friend and I. We're like, this is the weirdest stuff we've ever heard. Mm. We just we couldn't wrap our minds around Mm. what those family members were doing, and that how did this takeover become so complete?
1: It is mass propaganda and mass indoctrination. It's global dissemination of propaganda. Propaganda that normalizes sexual cruelty desensitizes primarily men and boys to sexual cruelty it educates you know this is the biggest department of education in the world we are talking about here so boys learn to eroticize dominance uh, women learn that they should be submissive and that should they should enjoy uh, cruel and unusual punishment <laughs> So that's what's happened on a global scale. Mass production of images of degradation and violence against women has been eroticized and monetized, and you know billions of these images are being are being consumed, you know, routinely, every day, all the time, day and night. You know, what do we think is going to happen? Like, no, no one should be surprised at the epidemic of violence against women. On a global scale, no one should be just surprised that children are acting out sexually on other children at rates never before seen. No one should be surprised that adolescent boys are featuring in sexual assault statistics uh, on a global scale because this is the, the, this is the natural outworking of what we as a society has, has permitted. Like Robert Jensen says, pornography is what the end of the world looks like. And I think it's a brilliant, Description and a chilling description of where we are at as a society. Every day I I ask the question, what kind of civilization do we want? Because I don't know how you can have a stable, healthy, functioning civilization uh, when, when we also have the, the communities everywhere in, in every part of the world being colonized by, by pornography. Like you can't, you can't have, have both and there are days i wonder if you know if it's if it's too late but i can't let myself think that <laughs> you know i have to press on and 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 do what i can while i while i can um, to stop this idea that it's all right to treat women and girls like this and and to educate every man and boy that it's acceptable behavior that rape is just entertainment that you should be able to enjoy to enjoy that
0: so I I you know, I like I said, pornography was not really a part of my life and mm. I don't and also I grew up before the internet and mm. I I a lot of the things that you say about how do you know when you're having sex, she starts crying. It's like I I grew up in the country, so I'd seen animals Mating, mm-hmm. but so I, I had a sort of general idea of, of what, you know, a, a kind of general idea of what happened. But, um, I mean, I, I keep thinking of a line I wrote a few months ago, which is when I was 17, 18, 19, you know, if holding hands didn't, you know, get me to heaven, it got me close enough that I could walk from there
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that. I, I, I think that I want to come back to its harms on women in a moment, mm. but I, I mean, it, it just that. I mean, there have been so many, and yes, I know rates of childhood sexual abuse, and I was sexually abused as a kid. I understand all that, but there still is this absolute beauty of, okay. you know, that sort of innocent exploration yes. that happens. When you know I mean I'm sure you know what I'm talking about about yes just- I do
1: I talk about it myself that that sensation <coughs> of the the skin on skin contact, the brushing of one hand against the other hand as a young person you know and you often remember that first initial sensation, that beautiful discovery of what it feels like to to brush the hand of another person to hold the hand of someone that you you like that's what's that's all being lost. Uh, because, you know, young men expect to be able to engage in porn-inspired sex acts uh, on the first date, you know. I read advice from a dating counsellor who said something like, you know, don't expect you should be able to ejaculate on her face on the first date. You know, why why should we have to even educate about that? So that whole slow discovery and slow burn and slow lead up and just getting to know someone is all of that's being lost. It's all about conquest and, and taking now uh, rather than that beautiful, slow, sensual uh, um, unfolding.
0: And I don't remember if this is you or if this is Robert Jensen or if this is Gail Dines or if this is someone else who says that at one point, uh, you know, sort of when we would think of groomers, we would think of, You know, one particular uncle or, um, one particular, usually adult male babysitter who would slowly, uh, uh, work a child toward, toward being able to sexually abuse that child. But now we have an entire industry acting as groomers. Was that you, or was that Gail, or was that Robert, oh, or Oh, look, I'm else? sure
1: we've all said the same thing, and I don't mind being confused with uh, either of those remarkable people. Uh, I, I've written about porn as a as a as a groomer of of children, uh, porn on a global on a global scale. I wrote a piece about uh, porn, the porn industry being the world's biggest department of education, and that uh, teaching on consent. And respectful relationships uh, you know all the programs we're developing on that in Australia we've got millions of dollars going into respect and consent education but if if it's not done through a porn critical lens it's it's useless it's a waste of time because porn teaches the opposite uh, porn teaches that you know no means yes that women want to be violated that all women harbor rape, rape fantasies uh, that you need to put women in you know in their place so unfortunately Uh, Quite a number of the programs being taught uh, don't acknowledge porn as a a significant groomer of uh, young people as distorting and shaping their developing sexual templates. So, yes, I've certainly run that argument for sure.
0: So let's go back to to He Chose Porn Over Me. What um, This is perhaps a bit early in the interview to be asking this because we're only halfway through. But I'm still really curious. It's like, how did how did the women who were able to exit? Well, first off, what percentage in what percentage of the relationships where a a man has chosen porn over a woman in what in in what percentage of relationships is the relationship salvageable? By which I mean he eventually does change his mind and no longer make that choice. I'm not suggesting, well, I guess this is a question too. In what percentage of the relationships do you think she ends up going along and get, getting sucked into that abusive relationship? In what percentage do you think he changes? And in what percentage does, does she just try to get out as, as soon as possible and cut her losses?
1: Do you mean based on this book or do you mean generally speaking?
0: Generally speaking
1: yeah look, no one's collected the data that I know. Uh, you know there's no no book book like this one, so I can really only speak to what I learned from interviewing women, from getting their stories, from other women that have contacted me since. Uh, um, most women that I've engaged with on this issue initially try to save the relationship. They want to keep the relationship. Uh, They previously liked this person. They talk about the theft of the man that they knew. They talk about the way he changed and became cruel and narcissistic and and selfish. But they do try, and some try for a long time. There's one woman in the book who is still in that kind of a relationship, uh, which makes me really sad. Um, but eventually most of the women recognised that the man they were with did not want to do the serious work of change. And often it was put onto the woman to do all the organising, organising the counsellors, organising the therapy, organising the accountability software, having to police their partner's behaviour, having to, you know, encourage him and, still put up with really bad behaviour until the point came that they realised they were living a half-life, they'd become a shell of their original selves and they just asked themselves, well, how can I keep, you know, living like this because unless he has shown definitive signs that he wants to stop, it's unlikely to happen. And that's why we advise women. I mean, the aim of this book was twofold. One was to show don't date men who use porn because a number of the women said they wish they'd heard that advice before it was too late. And other women, uh, we wanted to send a a message, you know, you shouldn't have to endure this. This is uh, not consistent with human flourishing. You're not going to live your best life. You're not going to have a great life this man has shown no signs of changing or is lying because you've got to see evidence uh, and you shouldn't feel obliged to stay. Now, that's easy to say because for a lot of women, it's very hard to leave as, as it is hard to leave any domestic violence situation. Often he controls the money. Uh, often they've been involved in child raising for years and don't have their own source of funds. Uh, you know, housing crisis, certainly here in Australia and and other parts of the world as, as well, all of the obstacles that you face, you know, trying to exit, but a number of them have and they, they just haven't looked, looked back. And, you know, if he wants to change, he can change. If she leaves, often that's an, in, can be an incentive. But if she stays and he gets that whole happy family life persona and gets to pretend to the world, uh, why does he need to change? He can have that, that happy family persona and have his porn at the same time. So that's not an exact answer to your question, but many women try to salvage it, but it becomes unsalvageable because it's one way. And you know, and if he doesn't change, then why should she be expected to endure endure that
0: and this is perhaps traveling a bit far astray, but so when when she does leave, um mm. what percentage of those uh Do do the men – is that a wake-up call for the men that they actually do quit or as opposed to going, well, fine, I'd rather have my screen?
1: Yeah, look, I only am aware of a very tiny proportion of men who decide to change. And the ones that have changed that I've spoken to, they took radical action, radical action, like literally smashing up devices, making themselves accountable, going to the, you know, like AA meetings, and not that they had an issue with alcohol, but they needed kind of the routine and the discipline and those those 12 steps. You know, men men told me that they would limit their screen time, that they had accountability software on, on every uh, device, and they were serious about it. You know, they met face to face with with other men that also wanted to to give it up. They also got counseling, they got they got therapy. You know, they threw every resource at this. Uh, but most of the men that were partners of the women in this book did not do those things. Uh, some said they'd changed, but but actually they hadn't changed at all. Uh, so it's a tiny proportion. I wish there were more, obviously.
0: So what do you think about the word, um, addiction? Is that, mm-hmm. uh, is that, is that, uh, sort of removing the man's, uh, is it giving, is it giving him, uh, giving him a, what's the word? Is it, is that removing his responsibility for his choices by allowing him to say he's an addict or do you think that addiction does actually work?
1: I caution against the use of the word, and I prefer to use terms like unhealthy sexual behaviours, compulsive porn use habitual. That's my preference, and we do have uh, a uh, longish footnote in the book that explains our reason for using language that isn't addiction because for exactly the reason you've said A lot of men will say, well, I can't help it. I've got an addiction. And a number of the women said that their partners loved to use that language because for them it took away uh, any moral responsibility, any ownership of the problem. I'm an addict. I can't can't help it. Having said that, there's a therapist friend that I work with. uh, He's a big supporter of our work in Canada, um, Paul Laverne, who treats men that he says do have genuine addictions and I'm also uh, friends with a man in the UK who I had the pleasure of meeting while I was visiting recently and he described you know what really was you know a total addiction full-on life controlling addiction so I think for some men that is genuinely the case but but those men want want to change they're not using it as uh, as an excuse as as a cover, uh, they genuinely want to, want to change, but they do describe you know what is a life um, controlling habit that they hate and want to be free of. so I think it depends on motivation. I still prefer to use compulsive habitual problematic sexual behaviors
0: so i'm I'm sorry to keep focusing on 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 men here too but Mm. do you think it's actually true that most of the men or uh, maybe i miss i'm mischaracterizing what you said but do you think that a lot of the men actually do hate their their use of it Uh, or i i I don't know that i don't i don't know that a lot I, i i would think that a lot of them who are continuing to do it don't actually hate it
1: Yes, I think that's correct. That would be my view too. Because if you if you hate it, if you recognise the suffering it's causing, what it's doing to you, what it's doing to your family, and the fact that you have become a patron of a global industry uh, which also traffics women to make porn, you know, every download you are complicit. Every download you are driving the porn industry. Uh, if you if you truly hate it. That should be an incentive for reform, you know, when you look at yourself and you realise what you've become. However, I think you are right because men are orgasming to these depictions of women being degraded, being debased, being multiply uh, penetrated, being made to suffer. And if you continue to orgasm to that and to get off on that, like that's an, you know, That's an extreme source of of pleasure for you. It's going to be harder to hate it, isn't it? (laughs) Because your brain is being wired to enjoy it, to take pleasure in it.
0: Well, I'm just, yes, exactly. And I'm just thinking, if you do a marginal cost, marginal return analysis, it's like, I'm losing my family. Mm. I've already lost this relationship with this person that, Mm. you know, I was at one point profoundly in love with. Mm. enough to, to marry and start a family with. I'm losing all of that for something I hate. I mean, that that just that just doesn't add up.
1: Well, Dr. Caroline Norma has captured this perfectly. She uh, emailed me and what she said, her observation on reading an early manuscript was so profound, I included it in the book. And Caroline co-edited uh, the spin effects title, Prostitution Narrative Stories of the Survival in the Sex Trade, with me in 2016. And she said this, it's actually quite an extraordinary contemporary phenomenon that men are so loyal to porn that they're prepared to have women leave them, that real women and children, households, future plans, etc., are nothing in the face of men's porn usage. They just end up meaning nothing because men actively and willingly choose porn regardless. You know, what a tragic situation that that's where we are at.
0: I want to go back to that that woman who sat next to me and started the mm. conversation. The the mm. one who was on all those top lists. Another thing she said to me was that um that men were acting out the porn stuff on her as well, choking, hitting, yep. and on one hand, it's like okay, you know, she's 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 fabulously wealthy. She's you know mm. all all these other things, and mm. Unless unless the men were Brad Pitt or George Clooney, the men Mm. are definitely dating above their class.
2: Mm. And
0: it's like you would think they would be on their best behavior. Um, And when I've talked about that with with Leah Keith, she's like, no, 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 Derek, you don't get it. The fact that she is exalted in some way, sort of, you know, secular royalty in this country, that Mm. makes it all the more exciting for them to degrade her.
1: That's right. It becomes an achievement. It becomes a conquest. It becomes a trophy. You know, which is we can, yeah, we can degrade the, even the beautiful woman.
0: Which is the opposite of relationship again.
1: Correct. Exactly right. Yeah.
0: You know, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, if they say they hate it, you know, I used to teach at a at a at a prison mm-hmm. and creative writing, and a lot of my students would write about their addictions because they, you know, I mean they. It's what they know. You write what you know. Yeah. And a lot of them would say, you know, meth cost me my family. It cost mm-hmm. me my freedom for the rest mm-hmm. of my life. It cost me all that.
2: Mm-hmm. But you know
0: what? I love meth. So <laughs> the point is they yeah. were at least being honest. They said, I, I, I hate what it's done to my life, mm-hmm. but I love meth and yeah. I love the feeling. So at least they were being that level of honest and weren't saying, oh, I hate it. But
1: yeah. yeah. Well, one of the women in the book uh, says this. Uh, We've called her Serotonia in the book. Quote, he won't feel empathy for the distressed females whose bodies were abused to produce the pornography. It won't occur to him they may have been trafficked, even if he knew he's unlikely to care because his gratification is more important. He won't have made any effort to verify ages. So it's exactly what you're saying. Um, there's a the pleasure in the humiliation and, and, and degradation, and that spills over to to real to real women. It doesn't matter how they look, if they're conventionally, um, stereotypically attractive or not. It, it spills out and affects every woman and every girl.
0: This reminds me of something that Lundy Bancroft wrote in Why Does He Do That? Inside the Minds of Anger and Controlling Men. Mm. He says, men, batterers, rapists, He says, everybody likes to pretend, oh, they lose control. He says, no, they don't lose control because if they lost control, they would beat up a cop. You know, they would just beat up a random person. I mean, that's like, you see like a crazy person on the street. They lose control. And he said, rapists, no, they don't lose control because if they really were going to lose control, they would rape a mafia boss in front of his henchmen. You know, that's losing control. So the question is always, who gets what who gets who gets what out of it what what do they gain tangibly and it's like you know that they don't lose control because if they were standing in front of mm. an audience doing a powerpoint for 5000 people mm. they're not going to pop porn on their screen they make choices Yes
1: that's right and that's why I'm reluctant to use the word addiction too often because they're still making a choice they're still making a ch- choice to watch you know young teen girl gets gets raped and degraded and you know the step porn genre which is also uh, very very popular uh, and to um, behave appallingly to real women and girls that's it's all a choice we all have moral agency we all make all make choices,
2: uh,
1: so yeah, it's too easy, I think to excuse that or to to or to dismiss it because the men won't change until they acknowledge their complicity uh, and decide to make other choices,
0: so we haven't really talked about the ubiquity of porn. Can you give us a a thirty second or one minute or two minute primer on like I remember reading somewhere that uh uh, the bandwidth for porn on the internet is greater than ESPN and Netflix or something. Yeah. I, what's that? Can you give us? I mean, that the, the I don't remember them, but they're absolutely horrifying. Can you give us a little bit of of just the ubiquity of it?
1: Yes. Um, I'm just going to dig up something that I shared on Instagram the other day, which was actually um, quite quite uh, chilling and and diabolical, Um, Pornhub was visited, Pornhub alone, which is the biggest dispenser of pornographic misogyny on the planet, was visited 42 billion times in 2019. To put this number in perspective, there are 4 billion men on the planet. Forty two billion times in one year alone and as I've already said, we know that the most popular genres of porn are the most violent. So that's what they're that's what they're feasting on. So yes, ubiquitous, click of a button, children seeing rape porn, torture porn, incest, sadism at school, on the school bus, at the school camp, at the weekend sleepover. Teachers are telling me boys are consuming porn even in the classroom, sitting up the back of the class with their laptops open. They're bringing it in on USBs to get around school's internet filtering systems, sharing stashes of porn with each other all, all the time. We've documented this significantly, at collective shout. You know, it's, it's really the memification of, of pornographic violence. It's just become normal normal to them and that's that's what the porn industry does it needs to breed the next generation of porn porn consumers so we talk about accidental exposure but a lot of it is is quite deliberate to to um, develop that next generation of, of of habitual porn consumers that's their business model
0: so if if um robert jensen is correct in mm. terms of what he says about Porn is what the end of the world looks like. Hmm. Um, well, first off, thank you for standing up to this wave. But second, uh, what, what, what do we do both personally and collectively? And, and, and for personally, let's break it down to a woman who is either dating or A woman who is in some sort of romantic relationship with a man, what should she do? Mm -hmm. Um, What should parents do? What should uh, those of us who care about life and Mm -hmm. sex and Mm -hmm. sensuality and love, Mm -hmm. what should we do? And then on the larger scale, what should we do?
1: Yes, so for the woman in the relationship with the habitual porn-consuming men, if he's not doing everything he can to get out of it, uh, leave or get him to leave, Uh, you are not going to flourish, you are not going to have a good life. Don't make excuses for it. Don't put up with it. Don't tolerate it. Make your needs known, your values, your boundaries uh, if he doesn't care about that, if he's if he's choosing porn over you, you don't need to stay. Also, as I said, a warning to younger women especially, don't date men who use porn. Uh, you are better off on your own. I speak to so many women that wish they were still single uh, because they, well, often they didn't know, you know, or they were lied to uh, that the man was consuming porn. One of the women in the book actually uh, left her first husband and then was about to remarry. and she begged this man, please tell me if you are using porn. Uh, he said no. and then she discovers he's a compulsive porn user as well after they're married. so not all women women were um, knew the truth beforehand. so it's it's a warning, it's a perm- permission giving as well to women to to get out of it. And then the next question was that about um, society as a whole?
0: No, the next question is parents. What, what, oh, what? Oh, parents. Yeah. Yes. What, what, what can parents do to? Like, I was yeah. just at the post office the other day talking mm-hmm. to the clerk, which means I'm talking to an absolute normie, you know, just a, a mm-hmm. regular person. And yeah. out of the blue, he's like, and we talk about his kid a lot because his kids in sports. I like sports. He likes sports. Mm-hmm. They play baseball, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. his kids like 11. We talk yeah. about his kid a fair amount. He's like, you know, my kid's getting to that age, and I just Uh, unfortunately he says that his kid so far, uh, does not look at, look at porn and he, uh, he watches over and he, Mm. and he he says he wishes the internet would go away completely, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, what can, given the fact that the internet is not going away tomorrow, Mm. um, what can parents do to attempt to protect their children from it? Mm -hmm. both male and both male and female children
1: sure well a lot of my work is speaking to parents and so uh, we urge parents to act personally and to act collectively and politically so acting personally first of all modeling what a healthy relationship looks like uh, because they're not going to see that in porn they're not going to see it in popular culture Uh, they're not going to hear about it in you know certain genres of, of music and music video clips and They're not going to see it in advertising. So what is a healthy relationship? What are you modelling at home? What do you put up with at home? Do you tolerate uh, children being behind closed doors on devices? You know, if you asked the average parent, would you let your child behind a closed door with a stash of hundreds of porn magazines, you would say, of course not, that would be insane. So uh, what's the difference? Because with the mobile device, Uh, There are millions of porn images there. Uh, I use that analogy when speaking with parents. Uh, Also uh, having, you know, every filtering device known to to humankind, having rules about uh, usage online, having rules around when you can even have a device and when you should be on social media you know technically you need to be 13 plus but you know of course many kids are on social media at much younger ages so what what do you allow what do you tolerate uh, at home it's not just the porn it's, it's porn culture more broadly you know pornographic themed um, clothing marketing advertising fashion music and then acting Uh, collectively you know it's too hard for parents on their own this is you know parents are pitted against a multi-billion dollar industry which doesn't care for their kids you know some parents say my kid's amazing well the internet doesn't care the porn industry doesn't care that you've got an amazing kid Um, it needs to build the next generation of consumers so getting active politically and asking your elected representatives, well, what are you doing? Why are you putting the vested interests of the global porn industry ahead of the well-being of the community? And this goes to, again, what kind of community do we want? Why is the porn industry allowed to uh, act like the Wild West? Why is it allowed entry into our home, into the lives of our our children and young people? Why is it allowed to destroy, uh, what's, you know, what should be good about society? Why have we given them this global control to colonise the whole world? So ask your elected representative to develop public policy and legislation to rein this industry in, to rein in the control of the porn industry and big tech more broadly and, and try to get some pa- power back that way. It's one thing to lament the problem. It's another, you know, to do something about it because this does go to the heart of the kind of, communities that we want to live in that are fit for habitation you know that's the big question is the kind of civilization we want
0: so we only have a couple minutes left and I know Mm -hmm. this is incredibly unfair to throw this huge question at you but Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do it anyway sorry not sorry that's all right Derek that's no worries um that A phrase, a term that keeps coming up in my head as we're talking and especially when, you know, men choosing screens over living, breathing women, Mm. um, the term that keeps coming up, well, and that and choosing sadistic sexual acts, the Mm. term that keeps coming up for me is necrophilia Mm -hmm. and a, a, in Eric Fromm's usage of not like having sex with a dead person, but instead
2: mm-hmm.
0: a a preference for the non-living
2: over yes. the living. Yep.
0: And I, I just wanted to get that word in there because I think it, necrophilia and sadism are really what yes. we're talking about with pornography. And now yes. I would like for you to just go anywhere you want with that.
1: Yeah. Wow. Okay. This is, this is true. You're really onto something here. Because a number of women said, "quote, he used me like a blow-up doll. They felt used as a sex object. They felt used like a, a dead thing, a thing that wasn't living, a thing that wasn't alive. They didn't treat them as living human beings uh, with 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 personhood, worthy of respect." I think you are really onto something here. They're preferring the non-living, the dead thing, that they can do anything they want to. And that's why they like sex dolls. You know, you've interviewed my colleague Caitlin Roper, who wrote the book Sex dolls, Robots and Women Hating. Uh, and this adds to your your thesis uh on on necrophilia, because they are they're dead, they're inanimate, and yet that's what's that's what's preferred is being able to do whatever they they want without without um, considering the humanity of of the the individual that they want to enact those acts on. It's not about mutual um, giving, and mutual enjoyment. You know, dare I say, love. <laughs> it's all about conquest and 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 taking. And you are right. This is about. This is actually about death it's about death, suffering, trauma, torture, so, yeah, you've got me thinking now sex is some kind of active death death- and death chamber in which women women are just um, yeah used for this. I'm gonna think about that more you've you're onto something with this
0: well and and that is. You know, sort of sex as death chamber is precisely the opposite of what it is because sex is. So this is how, this is where I, I want to end on two things. One yeah. is, uh, for you to tell people how they can find out more about your work. And the mm-hmm. other is you can go in whatever order you want. And the other is how this is the complete opposite because sex is literally and physically. The most foundational, creative, mm. and communal and uh, love-making act, mm. and mm. how it—it's it, extraordinary that we can talk about it as a death chamber at all.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, this is about the death of that creative, communal. Act. I once went to Sexpo here in Australia. This is an annual trade fair for the sex industry, the porn industry, brothel industry, and it was the most unsexual experience of my my life because it was so degraded and, and um, debased and objectified. And I wrote about this in Big Porn, Inc., exposing the harms of the global porn industry, and I called it Sexpo and the Death of... Sex because it's exactly what you're talking about that crushing of um communal creative uh, act of of love making so where so how can people do something about this <laughs> I think the dogs dogs are objecting as well um well, uh, collectiveshout.org. Collectiveshout is our uh, website, and we're a grassroots movement against objectification of women, sexualization of girls, uh, porn, porn culture, trafficking, violence against women. And we uh, d- join the dots. We uh, see the intersections between all of those those things. Um, and you can follow us on all of our social media pages. We are hoping to expand globally. We have had a number of uh campaigners in other countries a number of people concerned about these issues asking us to bring our work to their countries to expand globally which we certainly do want to do and if you're interested in um, my website is melindatencardrey.com I'm on also on all of the social media platforms and you can get the book through uh, Spinifex Press uh, online Spinifex Press a leading uh, feminist publisher uh, globally uh, you can find my My book's there.